ESPN City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRER. I'm Bobby Howe. And I'm Alex Gehring. Hey, Alex, what's up? Well, not a whole lot. I forgot that we were doing this today. But we're doing it. We're here. It's we're happening. We're doing it. It's happening. We're doing I, this. The miracle my schedule's allowing it. I saw Bobby text me and she goes, where are you? And of course, my first impulse was not, oh, crap, the podcast. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I need to jump in my car and probably drive 25 minutes away somewhere. So I was glad that it was the podcast and not a physical meeting. And to be fair to you, you figured it out without any follow up questions. I did. I did. Because I did see Amber send the script, not the script, we don't have a script, but the outline. And so uh, I remembered that it was this week, but not until you texted me. So yeah. But it's all good. We also just got back from legislative. We did get back from legislative and not this week's episode, but next week's episode or whatever week we have, you know, the periods, everything is spread out. The next episode we have, whenever that is, uh, we're going to talk to our legislative staff and all the things we talked about with our people while we were up in the DCs. It was great though. First in-person meeting, I mean, first mid-year since 2019. Yes, it was awesome. And by the way, way better in person than it is online. Oh my gosh. The, doing these two conferences, doing this conference twice online, I'm just telling you, it was one of the most miserable experiences. I know NAR was doing the best they could. It was the worst yeah. thing I've ever had to sit through. And I had to sit through it. And yeah. it was awful, 100% awful. Yeah. You just, so it's, it's way better in person. Like a million times better in person. We were at a completely new venue, which this was like my 14th time attending, I believe, if we go back and we do the math. And it had always been at one set of hotels or a certain area of town because there was two hotels we were split between always. And this year, we were all the way across town, all the way over into Maryland. We even left D.C. itself over into Maryland. I love the location. It was great. And we're moving again next year. Right. But I'm moving back over by the Capitol, but that's a brand new hotel and it looks pretty swank and they should be able to do everything under one roof like they did this year over at the Gaylord. So I honestly had no complaints with where we were. It was such a cool little spot. We were in National Harbor, uh, lots of restaurants, uh, you know, pretty views and everything too. Still, I was, people were acting like it was going to take 45 minutes to get into DC. It did not. It took like, 15 minutes. It wasn't a big deal. We were able to, we went to Alexandria a couple of times. I, I mean, it, we went into Arlington. I mean, it was very nice. We had a, a good time. I think we explored more by where we were this year than in the years past having gone and been, because you just stay right there, even though there's not really any restaurants, you might go for, down to DuPont Circle or you might go over to Adams Morgan, but Nobody was going all the way into Alexandria or Arlington or anything like that. So I we had some amazing meals um, in uh, old Alexandria, old town. We had the best Italian meal I've ever had my entire life. We went to Mia's Italian kitchen and we ordered the mussels. The gravy was perfection. I still I could taste it right now. I get I could have a whole nother bowl just of the gravy right now. It's fine. Well, I will just say that. we had a lot of fun, but we also had important meetings too. We got some good stuff. We did. Done. 
And uh, the, I'm excited to talk to Jeff and Derek next uh, for our next episode uh, about the Hill visits. Yep. Um, and uh, I will say on the MLS side of things, we didn't get to talk about some of the things that we wanted to talk about, but that's okay. I understand why. I understand why. But um, uh, anyway, the MLS side of things, we, I wish there were more. I wish there was more. Right. I get I that. I really do. I, I get you. There was some, there was a, I, I felt like I had more downtime, which again, I got to, uh, you know, do some exploring and all of that, but I, we are there for, for meetings too. And so yeah. I, I wish there was more, uh, more there for me to do, do. So you could sit in on the governance stuff though. Cause there was some really good governance stuff that went oh, on. And in, then on in addition, we I had, could, but it overlaps with the MLS stuff that we did have. Yeah. And I have to go to the MLS stuff. Really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to tell me that I need the need to apply to be on some committees. Well, you do. And I would talk to everybody about applying for committees, but I'm pretty sure this episode doesn't come out before Friday. Right, Amber? Not before Friday. No. So it does. So it doesn't mean any good because May 13th is your deadline for committees. I was trying to like give us a. Yep. Nope. This episode comes out on the 18th. The deadline is on the 13th. So otherwise. But if you haven't applied for committees yet, it is now too late. <laughs> um, yeah. And we did have an election for what will be our 2025 NAR president will be Kevin Sears. And then we have a new treasurer for 2023 and 2024, Greg Um, I did serve on Rabchak's campaign to help get him elected. So that was really fun seeing your candidates get elected because it was a very contested, very um, divisive election this time, especially once we got there, some people were acting a fool and, uh, both the campaigns got a little crazy, but followed through to victory. We kept our heads down, stayed focused on our message and everything was good. Mm -hmm. I was glad. I was glad it went the way that it went. I was too. Um, let's see what else happened. Oh, while I was in DC, I got to present for NAR on stage with Maurice Hampton from Chicago and Nate Johnson from St. Louis, which Nate Johnson's a past guest, isn't he? Didn't we have Nate on? Yeah, Nate's a past podcast guest. Yes, we have. We have. Remember that now as I'm saying words out loud. So um, that was a great time too, all three of us. That's awesome. And what did you guys talk about? So it was called Leadership Express. It was a two-hour session. Each one of us presented on a topic for 30 minutes. So I talked mental health duh, because that's what I do. Uh, Maurice talked about diversity uh, and DEI. And then Nate talked on leading through adversity. Then there was 30 minutes left over at the end for Q&A of all of us. And it was really an interesting Q&A since our topics were so different, yet parts of them overlapped. The Q&A was really interesting as opposed to just one one topic that had been talked about for an hour and a half and the questions could have gone to anybody. It was very specific and it was really good. So yeah. So, and speaking of past guests, who do we have coming on as a current guest today? Well, do you Dennis know? Dennis Curtin is coming on today. I know, and I love Dennis. Dennis is amazing. And we're bringing on Dennis because he won the KCRAR Community Service Award last year for his work on founding Mimi's Pantry. And it's a nonprofit that's fighting for food insecurity in the Kansas City Northland. And he's gonna give us some advice on how we could all make a difference in our community. So I'm 
really excited for us to bring on Dennis. Awesome. Me too. But before that, do you know what we got? I bet I'm willing to bet that you have a book bit. You never let me down on a book bit. I may or may not have a book bit. Oh. You should do the song and find out. You, you, but you might not have one? I might not. You'll find out what you do. I might be doing the song. song in vain? Yes. You need to tell me that you have one. I'm not doing this song unless you have a book bit. Okay, I have a book okay, bit. Okay, good. Do, 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 Bobby's book bit. Casey. Wow. Whoa. That was an, it's an extra rarity for a very long week last week in DC and this being still fairly early on Monday morning. We're, I'm still adjusting back into life back. I didn't get home till late Saturday night. I'm still death right now. All right. So our book today is a book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Uh, excellent, excellent book. I absolutely love this book. It's actually one of my most recent reads that I had as opposed to going back to some old stuff. And it's a guide for becoming a great leader and manager. And it talks to you about how to connect with people, how to push people to be the best version of themselves, knowing when and how to fire or let people go, and then creating an environment of trust and innovation at work. She worked at Google for a long time, so she uses a lot of Google Stories. And my quote from the book is, make sure that you're seeing each person on your team with fresh eyes every day. People evolve, so your relationships must evolve with them. Care personally and don't put people in boxes and leave them there. So that's what I really like about this book is that it's just a fresh look at people as a whole and creating that environment at work that everybody wants to show up and everybody wants to be their best version, even when life is being lifey, like it sometimes is. Um, just like the meetings were very people life can sometimes be lifey. Yeah. Um, so my three lessons from the book, the first one is radical candor means being direct and honest with people while taking care to not offend them. So the word radical means far reaching or thorough. And the word candor means being open and honest in expression. So as we start to develop the skill by building a personal relationship with each other, that lets people know that we're care with it, we're caring by being open and talking about things with people other than just their business. Uh, it means requiring you to challenge your people to do better when they're not doing as good as they should. It means being honest with them about where they're at, even if that's not an easy conversation. You know, one of the things that I first learned when I went to a coaching class a long, long, long time ago was that too often we love people out of this business. We don't have direct, honest conversations with them about their performance or how they're doing in accordance with their goals. We pat them on the back and say, that's okay, you'll do better next time but we're not actually pushing them to do better. So when we have those honest, direct conversations, we actually push people to be the best version of themselves. The second lesson from the book is barking orders doesn't work. You have to collaborate with your team members if you want to be efficient. Um, Steve Jobs is one of the people that she gives an example of in the book. And she talks about, he knew that he wasn't always going to be right. So he always challenged his people to speak their mind, even when they disagreed with him. And so there are four steps to that collaborative effort. And the first one is listening to people's ideas and creating a safe space for them to speak freely. 
The second part is to let your team have time to refine their ideas once someone speaks up. The third part of the collaboration is to have debates to let all options come to the table and then you decide on one as a group. And then finally, you as the manager have to present the idea to your superiors in order to have it implemented, then make it happen, get it executed once they do. And then finally, the third idea or lesson from the book is to have honest conversations with your employees are the best way to know their real motivations, which allows you to support them. Most people have big aspirations. If you as a leader aren't harnessing the powerful motivation that that can provide, you're not allowing your team to reach their full potential. Be the kind of boss that people really care about, and that makes all the difference. Learn what people want out of life and then help them go get it. When their world still fits inside your world, they'll stick with you for forever. So that's my book bit, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. One of the best books I've read in quite frankly, a long time. Love it. That's a good one. I'm happy. It it's right up on my shelf. I could bring it to you. So, all righty. It looks like it's time to go grab Dennis and bring him in. The UMKC Realtor Leadership Academy is a seven-month program that brings three core themes into the classroom, industry context, regional leadership, and practice management. KCRIR partnered with the UMKC, the Henry W. Block School of Management to develop this curriculum specifically for realtors to gain new skills and knowledge specific to the business of real estate. Plus, you get to be a root, which I am a root. So that's your way of telling everybody you are a graduate of the Leadership Academy. Alex, I am. why are you glad you attended the Academy? I made so many great friends during that time. And we all know that anytime you're doing anything like this, one of the best parts of it are the relationships. And so I think we maybe had 14 or 15 people in my class. And uh, I got to know so many incredible people who I knew in the industry, I knew of them, but to actually get to know them better and uh, have projects that I had to do with these people, I had to meet with them outside of class as well to make sure that our quote unquote homework got done. Uh, I mean, you just built really strong relationships. So that's the number one reason that I'm glad uh, that I went through it. The, the other reason I'm glad is because I, I really did get some really interesting um, insight from really incredible thought leaders in our industry. So I really do think that it shaped the way that I think about our industry. And uh, I think it changed the landscape of my career in a way that I don't know that I expected it to. So I'm really grateful for the experience. So if you're interested in applying for the UMKC Realtor Leadership Academy, go to www.kcrar.com forward slash Leadership Academy to learn more. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. Bobby and I are here with Dennis Curtin. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Alex. How are you doing today? Hi, Bobby. Hey. Doing just fine. We're really excited to have you on. Uh, I know that for Bobby and I both, community service is a really important part of our business and our daily lives. And we look forward to talking to you more about how uh, you bring that into your community and into your life and, and why it's so important. Yeah, but before we start talking about Mimi's pantry, 
Why don't you give us some just background and some knowledge about you, Dennis? You've been in the real estate industry for forever. Like it feels like I have, uh, but longer. Uh, so give us your brief history of where, how you got started in real estate, anything you ever did before that and lead us up to where you are today. Sure. Well, I uh, grew up in the Northland. I went to uh, De La Salle High School uh, uh, over in Kansas City off of sale, went to Rockers College. And uh, so how I got involved here, I, I guess, in real estate was kind of, uh, kind of uh, like a lot of us, we back into the business. Uh, after I got out of college, I was going to get into the uh, stock brokerage business, 1973. And there was uh, an oil crisis going on back then and a lot of recession taking place. And anyway, bottom line is uh, my very first day on the Board of Trade downtown Kansas City, uh, I was a rookie trainer and a trainee. And uh, so the company I was with, uh, they were put out of business that very first day. So I sat there with a college degree and thought, oh, what am I going to do? I've been working at uh, the grocery store business for a while and uh, through high school and college. And uh, fortunately, my mom knew a builder up north of the river. And so she uh, said, well, I, I said, back up a little bit. Uh, probably my junior year, a buddy of mine went and got our real estate broker's license. We thought it looked good on our resume, actually, while we did it. And uh, so then I had this idea that I'd go talk to this builder. And so that would have been 1973. And uh, long story short, I got into the business. Uh, he didn't really have a place for me, but he sent me to a, a, a local two office firm in, in the Northland, Donaldson Realtors was called. And I worked there for a couple of years. And uh, then uh, heard about this concept, new concept in Denver, Colorado, Remax. And so I started uh, the first uh, Remax franchise in the country in 1975. So next year will be my 50th year in the business. And then a couple more years will be 50 years with Remax. So that's kind of a quick version of uh, kind of what I did or how I got into the business um, all those years ago. What an amazing story. That's awesome. Well, uh, you know, we all have a story. We all have a story. I talk to people all the time. When you ask them, okay, how did you get into business? We all, there's always a story. Each one of us has a story to tell. But anyway, that's so I've been doing that. And so right now, over the years, I opened brokerages in Kansas City. And, and then in 1990, I sold all my brokerages to my managers. And uh, the company had been expanding. And then what I did after that was I took on a regional ownership role. And even to this day, so I have uh, seven states in the Midwest down to uh, uh, the Gulf Coast that are more, uh, considered in our in my Remax region. I've got about 235 offices and about 4,000 agents in those offices. So that's what I'm still doing today. That's amazing. So where are you based at now? Well, are you talking about to very date, this very moment today, or yeah? Well, what you see in the background, I'm down in the Virgin Islands today. I had some business meetings down here, and I have a house down here, so I'm back and forth. Uh, and so I'll be here till Thursday and then head on back. You guys are going to actually have warmer temperatures there in Kansas City today than I am. It's hot. So, <laughs> but uh, that's where I am today. But our, our uh, headquarters is up off the North Oak Traffic Way uh, in North Kansas City. Awesome. Very cool. So he well, works I was wondering a little bit if you were of everywhere. <laughs> Sorry, Bobby, say again. I said he works a little bit of everywhere. You just yeah, get there, to That's right. Yeah. You, you work wherever you are. Well, that's it. As we all do today, you can work everywhere. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Mimi's Pantry, what it does and where the name came from. Well, I'll tell you where the name came from first. So um, my, I have two daughters and uh, like a lot of uh, grandkids, they named, uh, when they get old enough to talk, they named the grandparents. So my oldest daughter uh, named my, my mom Mimi. So she became Mimi in the family uh, 
with that, with her naming uh, rights, I guess. And uh, so the idea of, of Mimi's kind of germinated back when I was a little kid. My mom had a had a, uh, a deli up at Seventy uh, Second and North Oak, and I have three sisters. And so, uh, being a little guy, I uh, they they were helping her in the kitchen, and I was kind of the cleanup guy. And I was just uh, noticed from, from time to time uh, my mom would, you know, not charge these people money. And so I always thought that thought that was curious. And I found out later the backstory was that uh, many times she would know they were on hard times or they'd been laid off work. Uh, anyway, she, she comped their meal and, you know, I, she never talked about it. She never bragged about it. She never, even, you know, I never, at the time, I don't remember even having the courage to ask her about it, but it, it always stuck with me. And then in, when I got in the grocery business, I, uh, I really learned, I was in the business for almost 10 years, all the way through high school and college. And uh, I realized the the issue is there's not there's always plenty of food out there, and there really is. The, the problem is distribution. And if you know anything about the grocery business, even to this day, there's a lot of waste, uh, a tremendous amount of waste in 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 that distribution channel, as well as just uh, trying to get it, you know, to the public. So I um, started thinking about this maybe six years ago, and I when I, I do a lot of traveling, so everywhere I would travel, I would pop into a food pantry. And, you know, it's the, the challenge that we have, all of us, so we don't do real well without oxygen or we don't do real without food. So those are pretty basic. And I started talking to people about their community and didn't know anything about it and just started learning the, the pros and cons, why, why um, you know, people actually ended up at the food pantry. There's a lot of misconceptions out there why people go to food pantries. Anyway, bottom line is I uh, had a building down in Riverside and I bought it for actually for one of my apartment complex guys, you know, they, they always are looking for places to store extra parts. And so on the upper level of that 6,000 square foot building sat there empty for a couple, three years. And I had people come and say they want to put church in it and things of that nature. And I just, something told me that just wasn't right. Uh, I, I was, there was another purpose. And as it turned out, it, uh, I really say it was kind of heavily sent uh, the, the pantry really, the, the building really works really well for the pantry. So when I got serious about it, um, then I went to my oldest daughter and, and she and her sister were working together. They were the property management, they had a property management company handling, um, multi, you know, single family houses for people. And I asked her if she uh, had an interest, if I'd open this pantry, if she'd be interested in running it. And she said, yes, she would. And I knew she had the skill sets. I was hoping that she would do that. So the two of us opened it and, uh, we went to harvesters and uh, we told them our story. And of course, they're pretty picky who they let you come in. They, they want to make sure you're not just going to be a one-off deal. And I told the vision that I had was I really wanted a healthy food pantry where uh, in my discovery was a lot of times people will go to a pantry and they'll get a box of goods. And sometimes they don't like the stuff that's in it. I mean, they, it, they, there are people that are giving it away or doing their best, but it's only the donations that come in that particular week or month. And so, and then the other thing I found is sometimes there's a lot of judgment that takes place in these pantries. And I said, uh, we're gonna try to come up with something different. So there's not a lot of criteria. Uh, you have to live in Clay and Platt County, that's per harvester's rules with us. And uh, all we ask them to do is show a lease or show you know, uh, a utility bill or something like that. And that way they would qualify. We've done our, our due diligence. And so when I, Started the pantry, uh, Kelly and I made the decision that we were going to make it a food healthy pantry. And we were going to have fruits and vegetables and uh, meats and proteins and all of the things along with the box goods that you get in most uh, pantries or, you know, that you need. And the other idea was I told her, I said, that's a nonprofit, obviously. 
but we're going to run it like a business. I've been a businessman for 50 years and I, and I see a lot of the pantries I visited were really kind of helter skelter. And they, they just, uh, sometimes they were open, sometimes they weren't. It was just not run properly in terms of my eyes. So I said, we're going to run it just like a business. We're going to have a business plan. We're going to have, you know, staffing, that the minimal staffing that we have to have. I can talk about that in a minute. And we're going to run it on volunteers. And, and that's really what we ended up doing. So the pride that we have is that when someone comes into Mimi's, there will always be milk, there will always be eggs, there will always be fresh produce, there will always be the things that a lot of times they, they can't get at other uh, pantries or people that are you know, trying to help them out. And we're going to give them also a sense of dignity. So when they come in, they're already kind of at the lowest part of their life. None of us wants to be in that position. And so we set that. It's a real clean facility. It's, it's uplifting. And it's like a grocery store. They literally go in. And so a lot of the little kids will come in. They wouldn't know the difference if they were in Mimi's Pantry or if they were in, you know, Hy-Vee. This wouldn't. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. You know what I'm talking about in terms of, of choice. And so um, then I went on and said, well, if we're going to get donations, which I knew that was going to be a big part of it, uh, I invested pretty heavily in uh, walk-in coolers and uh, also a refrigerated truck, because that's the one thing that the people that give you the goods, they want to make sure that <laughs> it's not going to go spoiled. And so we get a lot of extra goods that way, because we pull up in the refrigerated truck on a day like you guys are having in Kansas City today, and the fresh produce stays fresh. Mm -hmm. And the meat, are, you know, we can keep the meat cold until we get it to the freezer. So that's that's kind of gives you a little bit of a background as to how we started and how the Mimi's uh, name came in. But uh, I could go on and on, but I'll let you ask the next question. Dennis, I want to take a step back just for a second and talk a little bit more, a little bit more about the misconceptions surrounding food insecurity, because I think that's a really important part. I, I think you're right. People make assumptions about that. What are some you tell us, just talk a little bit more about that as far as how people can find themselves in a situation where an organization like Mimi's Pantry uh, is able to step in and, and help them. Uh, absolutely, Alex. Well, here's the misconception. The, the major misconception that I see out there is this, is that, and, and I say, I think we all have it, and I'll, I'll, I'll demo since you guys can see me, the podcast can't, but visualize that, that on one shoulder, you have a little angel, you have a, on the other shoulder, you have a little devil. And you see, you pull up to the stop sign and you see the panhandler, you see the guy who said, I'm out of work, I need money, you know, whatever. And uh, you may have seen that person five or six times, <laughs> maybe in the last month. And so the little devil says on your side, you know, this is probably a scam. He's, you know, he looks like he's got new sneakers. He's got a cell phone sticking out of his pocket and I'm not going to give you money. Now, on the other side, the angel's going, well, you know what, by the grace of God, do I, some, I don't know the whole story. And if he's begging for money, he's obviously reached to the point or begging for food, the point in his life that what the heck I'm going to give him. So I think that's the challenge that we all have. And so food pantries, and I, I'm talking about myself too. Sometimes I catch myself having to talk myself in just the same speech I just gave you guys. And so I think that's human nature. So pass that on to the pantry. There's a lot of misconception that people are, are there to scam the system. I had a sister, as a matter of fact, one of my sisters said, well, how do you know they're not scamming? I said, you know, if I have to worry about that three or 4% of people that might be doing it, uh, I focused on the wrong thing. I can handle 95 or 96 of them. I know they need it. And then all you have to do is volunteer for a session and all the misconceptions go away because these people tell you their story. I mean, they are, they don't want to be there. Here's a really interesting example, Alex, I tell you, that proves this point. 
when all the PPP money came out, remember when all of a sudden check people were getting checks and things, our pantry uh, 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 folks that came to the pantry dropped by about 50%, which proved to me they didn't really want to be there. They had money that they could go to the grocery store and buy. And it was just such an eye opener to me because I always believe that. And so what you see is you see a lot of uh, people, I'll say it's a, either a single mother with a couple of kids, or it could be a, a young couple that just are making minimum wage. It breaks down about a third of the folks are retirees and uh, social security just only gets them so far. They're missing, about, we always say it's about a week short. And you have a lot of uh, the young kids that I talked about, but here's what really happens is that if they have a, uh, say they need a new set of tires, well, that'd be four or five, $600 out of their budget that they hadn't planned for. That's a lot of money. And so what ends up having to go is they got to have their car or they got to pay their rent and the food is what goes and the kids are suffering. So can give you an example in Northland, we all live in a very abundant community up there and the city for the most part. I mean, I, I dare say all of us on this podcast live in, and the people are going to listen to it. We're very blessed, but yet one out of seven families in Kansas City alone and also in the Northland are food insecure. What food insecure means is they don't necessarily not have food, they don't know if they're going to have food, meaning mm -hmm. something happens, like I just talked about. Uh, during the pandemic, it got into, it, one out of five kids were, were food insecure uh, because people were laid off, you know, they, they weren't working, you know. Uh, some of us, that we were blessed in the real estate business that we got to keep uh, doing our business, but there are a lot of people that didn't. So that's really what I say, I'd say that's how I would break it down. And uh, the misconception, the second thing is, is that, uh, which is hard for me to fathom this, but it really came out to me. Sometimes these volunteers start becoming judgmental mm -hmm. and then they start treating the people kind of with an attitude. And so I have a big sign. I found it in one of the little stores we started, you know, that uh, it's right where everybody checks in, all the volunteers check in, uh, be humble, not judgmental. And that just sends the message that we, that's how we, we create the attitude that we have. And the volunteers have bought into it. And Kelly's just been wonderful selling the idea. And uh, I'll tell you one more story just to show you how, how easy it is to get caught. So in Mimi's, I, I, I like to garden and I like to make sure things really come nice. So we had to build this uh, a ramp and it was a uh, handicap ramp, but we also use it to take our grocery carts down the ramp so that they, you know, have a chance not to have to come downstairs. Well, I was out there, it was the middle of summer, and I mean, I looked like I had just fallen off the truck. I mean, I was dirty, massive, sloppy, and, and this little lady came in, and she was one of the volunteers, and she came down, and she said, oh, Miss Ethel, this is our founder, Dennis Curtin. Now, I looked like I should have been going to the pantry. Uh, anyway, she laughed, and she started blessing me and thanking me, and, and I mean, it was, it was a really amazing experience, but she was decked out to the nines. I mean, she looked like a million bucks. And that little devil on my shoulder jumped up and said, what is she doing here? Just to myself. And so about two weeks later, the, the volunteer came in. I said, Can you, what's the backstory in Miss Ethel? Uh, well, Miss Ethel was used to be a very prominent person in her community. And she fell on hard times. Mm -hmm. And she had one good outfit that she'd only go out and be seen in that outfit. Because in her mind, she was still this very prosperous, very upstanding person in the community. And man, and she's telling me the story. Well, you, don't, you can imagine 
how terrible I felt because I had that little devil jump up two weeks earlier. And it just goes to show you. So that's a lot of the misconceptions out there that people were there just to scam the system, Alex. And it's just not true. You talked about when your aunt had her deli and that she would, you know, feed people and comp them. And then six years ago, visiting the food pantries, what happened in between there? Is this always something in the back of your mind that you wanted to do someday? Or was there something you saw or something that changed that made this become a reality you wanted to happen? Well, I I think that's a great question. I know the answer very quickly. It's one of those things in life that I knew I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But you know how you get busy and you talk about it. And it was actually one of my, actually both my daughters, uh, we were at lunch one day and somehow Mimi's, the concept of Mimi's pantry came up. And, and I think one of them looked at me and said, you know, dad, are you ever going to do it? Or are you just going to talk about it? And I thought, wow, they'd been hearing me talk about it for two or three years and I never pulled the trigger. And I mean, that day it, it, it put a fire into me and it was within less than four or five months later, we had the pantry open. I mean, I, I, I went into full gear because I thought, you know, it's, it's really true. It's easy to put it off. But yes, to answer your question, I had it in the back of my mind. I did the research, but I never pulled the trigger. And it's just like all of us know, when you finally pull the trigger in life, mm-hmm. the universe reacts. And all of a sudden, things start coming into play. People started uh, getting excited about it. I found people who wanted to join me, join me on the adventure, and, and they wanted to be on the board of directors with me. And, you know, it just started escalating really quite frankly mm-hmm. that's that was the motivation bobby just that one conversation that's kind of the jolt that you need sometimes you know one of the things that i love to say is that leaders influence results in two ways the first way is coming up with a strategy or plan and most of us have no issues if we're real leaders have coming up with a strategy coming up with a plan the second way is the execution of the plan and that's where most of us fall flat is because we never go execute that plan we had so good on your daughters for calling you out and then being like, oh. you know what? It's time to stop talking about the plan. It's time to make it happen. Absolutely. It's so true. So what advice do you have for other realtors who might see a problem in our community, but they aren't sure about how to go about solving it? Well, you know, it's just like kind of the same thing we talked about is that, uh, one, I think a little research does help. I mean, I was very well equipped when I went to harvesters. Uh, Mimi's Food Pantry really is kind of set the new standard for harvesters because a lot of times they would just, it was the old box thing, you know, and, and churches are really well intended, the folks that, and they donate and, you know, they get cans, goods, and they get different things, but there's no coordinated effort is to say, okay, what, what do we really need? And so when we set up Mamie's and went to harvesters, I said, you know, I want to set this up so that one, there's a dignity involved, but two, I want people to come in and get the things that they need every time. Because here's what happens. And you maybe, if you've ever been a food pantry, if they're open, let's say open at 11 o'clock, there'll be a line 15 or 20 people deep. And one, to me, it's so degrading to have to be standing in line for food. And secondly, the reason they're doing that is because they're afraid they're going to run out. And I said, we are not going to have that. We're going to have plenty of food. I got lots of storage. And that's why I bought the coolers so that we can, if sometimes harvesters will have a really good deal and we'll just load up. Now, you know, we don't overdo it because we don't want to take it away from everybody else, but we have the ability and they know now we have the ability to take excess goods that we can stretch out for maybe the next three or four months. So that was a huge game changer. I don't know if they really believed it at first. I mean, they probably hear a lot of people tell the stories. But when we got in and they saw what the amount of money we invested and also the, the whole organization we put together, uh, they've now, which we're very proud of this, have now started sending other new food pantry applicants to us as maybe a look at this model. 
because the model is changing. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, that's for the good. It's for good to all of us, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. Dennis, one of the conversations that's nationwide right now, everybody's talking about it, uh, is inflation. And we hear people talking about gas prices and, you know, now the Fed is uh, intervening to try to uh, help with inflation by, by raising interest rates. And so we're, we're talking about it a lot as an industry. Um, but one of the things that we know is that the, the people that are really impacted by inflation, I mean, we're all impacted a little bit, but the people that are really impacted are people who are food insecure right now. And uh, so I know we're all talking about it and, and even, you know, well, people that are well off are talking about gas prices being so high. But the reality is that if milk gets a little bit more expensive or eggs get a little bit more expensive, you've got whole families that uh, struggle a lot more than, um, than uh, my family does, to, to be frank. And so I guess what I want to know, we, I know that realtors have big hearts and we all can recognize that kind of thing. Um, and we all want to help with those, with, with, with that kind of a situation. If somebody wanted to get involved with Mimi's Pantry, uh, what would they do? And uh, who are you looking for? That's a great question. So we, when I first started, I, you know, was at, I was hitting up all the different uh, breakfast clubs or rotaries or anybody that let me tell my story. And uh, it was fascinating that uh, the people that when you tell the story, there's usually somebody in that group that, you know, has some sort of affinity to that. And that's how we started first getting volunteers and we started getting a few donations that way. But we really need, well, we don't need the third one as much as we did back then. Back then I'd say we need their donations. We needed obviously their volunteers and we needed them to get the word out. Well, the word's out, that's not a problem anymore. So the best way to, for anybody, if they want to help at Mimi's Pantry would be um, obviously volunteering. Uh, that's become a, a, a real popular uh, thing to do because uh, these it's really become a community. A lot of these uh, volunteers, is, uh, a lot of them are very successful people who are, who are retired and they want something to do and and they're sort of very well qualified folks who can who can actually educate counsel and 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 uh, become friends with these these people and a lot of times that's that's important because these uh, folks that come sometimes are pretty out there pretty lonely so volunteerism is one i will tell you a story about donations i think you might this might be eye-opening to, to your audience is that um, when we first started doing my investigation um there's always the food uh barrels, you know, there are people stick to church in front of, you know, different businesses and stuff. And we went down that path too. And we started buying Mimi barrels. We had them out there. And, uh, and then the light bulb kind of came on with me. And, and here's, here's the real uh, game changer, I guess, is that if you gave me a can of soup, and this is the example I would, I would tell the, a lot of times they were business people I was talking to. If you gave me a, a can of soup, or if you put a can of soup in the, in the, uh, barrel there's a real good psychic feeling that comes from that and that's really good to have you know kids love to do it you do the kind of the thing it's a good feeling but it, it say it's a dollar can of soup but if you can if i can convince you to give the pantry a dollar we can go buy seven cans of soup through harvesters and through our connections but it's not quite the same psychic feeling as writing you know a check that money is kind of cold versus that feeling so I've told that story so many times that I've actually had people who were willing, one lady who was going to donate a, uh, a side of beef, and it was worth about four or $500, uh, 
And uh, after I told her the story, uh, I followed up with my daughter a couple of weeks later. I said, did she ever send that side of beach? She goes, no, dad, she did. She sent a thousand dollars instead. Mm -hmm. So she got it. She was a business person goes, oh my gosh. So we can take a dollar and stretch it so much farther. Uh, now that doesn't mean we don't want to have donations because we do, but those are the other things that you can do too, is, is it, you know, we've got this down. If you can believe this number is amazing to me. We can feed one person for a week for five bucks through all the donations and through all the free stuff that we get from high bees of the world. And Walmart's been very generous to us. And so uh, that is, you think about it, somebody gives a hundred dollars to us. It doesn't sound like a lot of money. We can take that and uh, we can feed 20 people for a week with that. That's amazing. Last year, Mimi's did 6,000 families, which equated 18,000 people. So you can imagine, uh, we can, that's the other thing I like to always let people know. If they want to get involved in something, and it's kind of, Bobby, your original comment is that you start thinking about it, and then once you start talking to people and you've done mm -hmm. your research, you will find like-minded people. I didn't answer the question before. You will find like-minded people who uh, I just... I've just found that every time. And it's what you said before. It takes that one person, that one leader, that one person to step out and say, okay, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's really all it takes normally. And then you start finding people who, who flock to that, that cause. Yeah. So you are the sum total of the five people closest to you. When you find those people closest to you, they're like-minded and we're all going to work towards the same um, ultimate absolutely. goal. Absolutely. That's so true. So we're running close on time and I want to be respectful to the time that we've asked of you today. Sure. Is the last question that I always ask everybody is what else? What else should we have asked you about? What else do you want to talk about? Just how do you want to finish? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, when we started, I thought it would be a one uh, thing that we do at Mimi's Pantry. And I've gotten deeper and deeper into this whole thing. And so my board of directors have you know, kind of bought into my vision. As you guys know, I'm a franchise guy. So my job is to open up shops all around seven states. And I know the power of, of how that, that momentum works. So our next uh, project is we've uh, built a greenhouse right next to the pantry. It's in the process of being opened up and uh, got to be an orchard uh, right next to the pantry so that we can grow our own vegetables and our own, our own fruits and vegetables there as well. And I think the, the thing that I would tell you is that um, there's a, pro I, I, I think there's seven or eight locations in Kansas City that needs a Mimi's Pantry. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe more, but I, that's on my vision is uh, we'll get the, the first next one we're doing is a Mimi's Pantry for kids. It'll be right next to my office in North Oak Traffic Way, 37th and uh, 15 North Oak Traffic Way. And what it's going to focus on, it's going to focus on uh, just the kids, not just food, but there are a lot of things uh, that, and I've talked to many teachers about this, that mm -hmm. they have to, out of any, because you know, a lot of teachers come to school and they have to dig out of their own pocket to give kids snacks and either, you know, supplies. So this is going to focus. We're hoping to have it open by fall for the fall uh, school year. And I'm pretty sure we're going to make that target. So that's the next evolution that maybe is going to evolve into. And uh, I'm pr pretty excited about it. And the people that we've talked about it, I mean, who doesn't want to get excited about kids? Uh, I think we're going to, you're going to see a lot of uh, good press on it. And I think that's going to be the next evolution for us. So that's my, that's my next, uh, I guess that's my plug for where we're headed. I love that. And I'm excited to see that come to fruition. Thank you so much for your time, Dennis, especially since you're in the Virgin Islands right now. Um, no, I'm working, Bobby. This is a break for me. <laughs> so it's good. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate right. the opportunity. Thank you so much.